The American Council of Blind Lions, ACBL, is the affiliate that roars, and that's no lion. ACBL holds monthly conference calls and ACB convention events that help people who are blind or visually impaired become more involved in local Lions Clubs. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email lions.acb at gmail.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you, Mike Duke, and welcome to Tuesday Topics, everyone. I'm here, as is my co-host, Mr. Brian Charlson. Hello, Brian. Hello, Paul. It's been a hot day here in Massachusetts. We hit... 98 today. How about where you are? Yeah, it was probably pretty Not warm, here, but we had thunderstorms this afternoon. So here on the so, west coast of Florida, it was only 89. Yep. See, they, they beat us. And and that is our our assistant host, Miss Marianne Grignot. And we also have our streamer, Mr. Larry Gassman. Hey, sir. And uh, our, our fast assistant hand yeah, raiser, Mr. Rick Morris. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Rick. Hello, Paul. Assistant, How are you? Assistant hand raiser. Yeah, well, you've been demoted, Rick. On a He's been demoted. Card, we, yeah, because we Marianne's going to be the hand raiser tonight. Yeah, she'll do a great job. By the way, he's going to be in charge. Yeah. So tonight, way, ladies what? and gentlemen, we are doing what we didn't do last week. Um, which is to talk about a whole range of topics that that have to do with the way blind people view blindness. We may end up even carrying this over to next week with an entirely different subject. Those of you who are on early enough may have heard what that subject might be, but we shall see. In the meantime, one of the questions that we asked uh, last week uh, was what... Um, what do blind people think about uh, all of the eye research that's being done at the moment in terms of blindness? And there, there are two or three kinds that we particularly um, were concerned about. One of them has to do with um, research that may end up getting vision back a substantial amount <clears throat> or a little tiny bit, depending on whose research and when, how far along it is. And the second um, second type of research is uh, research that is aimed at uh, preventing blindness. That is uh, stuff that that devises um, treatments for things like uh, glaucoma and things like retinitis pigmentosa and some and some other diseases where there are actually beginning to be. Um, some pretty appropriate and pretty effective treatments. And the third kind of research is is kind of, not, I guess it isn't so much research as it is a question. Um, it's, it's one that a lot of blind people get asked, though, and we thought it might be nice to ask you guys tonight as well. So the third kind of question that we'll explore a little bit is, tonight is, if you had an opportunity, would you like to get your vision back? Uh, or would you like to get vision if you've never had it? 
Um, and we'll see what the differences are. Who, who are the folks who want their vision back? Uh, who are the folks who don't particularly? And who are the folks who absolutely don't? So, Mr. Brian, what did I leave out? You did a fine job, Paul. We should give our creds relative to these questions. Paul, you're, you've been blind all your life, correct? Well, probably not. Not I correct. I, yeah, I, I think I probably had vision for, um, oh, five or 10 days. And, and uh, I may have had 20-20 vision, but, uh, but it did not survive an incubator, which I was in for six weeks. So, so virtually from, from certainly from the time that I was aware of it, I had, I had um, a marginal amount of light perception, which disappeared by the time I was four or five and, and have had nothing since. And, and now um, have two eyes I can play with like marbles. So. <laughs> How lovely. How lovely. Yes. Picturesque, one might say. Yeah. And, and you, Mr. Ryan. And I was blinded in a household accident when I was 11 years old. So I have very, very strong visual memories. Though the longer I've lived without vision, the more my uh, way of imagining things are non-visual. Nice. And you, Miss Marianne, what's your visual status? Um, I have probably, they've never really quite diagnosed it, but probably Lieber's amaurosis. So I was born with only enough vision to be dangerous to myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I nice. had like, I could see really, really big letters on a blackboard if my nose was right on them. Mm -hmm. But I've been essentially a Braille user um, my whole life. There, there is you don't use there's vision supposed to for, be... for any activity? Yeah. Is that what right? Was, what was that? You don't use vision for any activity? Nothing. No, no, I never did. Okay. You know, I did. I, I used to be able to see um, contrast of like um, um, sidewalk to grass, snow to yep. street, and I could navigate um, a little bit better that way. But not really. Um, I've and, always adapted. And it, although I was blinded at 11, I had some useful vision, just like you were describing, until I was about 20 or so nice. on a de decreasing basis. You never knew when you woke up what it was going to be like. And Mr. Gassman, the price of cheese for you? I was, uh, John and I were two and a half months premature. We're both twins. Mm -hmm. He was one pound, eight ounces. You're both twins, that's good. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, maybe there's a third twin. twin. <laughs> a lot yeah. of happy meals going around today. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I had um, no vision. I have light perception. We're two and a half months premature. Light perception that is usable still. It actually hasn't decreased to my knowledge. That's, that's pretty all. cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I can see when it's light and when it's dark, and I can see sunlight, and I can see some lamps, depending, yep. and not all the time. So I have a little bit of that, but not. So does, it, does that actually help you navigate a little bit? Yes, yeah, it did. It helped me, but I think I probably rely and relied on my ears more so. But but I did watch a little bit when I could in terms of light, so it helped. Very good. If nothing Thanks. else, when you hit that light switch where there's one at one end of the hall and yeah. one at the other end of the hall, you knew whether you were turning it on or off without exactly the benefit of the switch location, right? Right. 
Oh, the yes, switch location exactly. doesn't always help. No, it does not. No, it doesn't. Not when there's two <laughs> oh. switches to the same light. Exactly. And they ought to be illegal. <laughs> they ought to be. <laughs> Who's ever had the company? One real value to a light detector I ever found. Who's that, ever that, had wow. company and not and realized that they never turned the lights on as it got darker? Yeah, well, well, well it's also the lamp that has a three-way switch, and I have to really yeah. be careful. Yeah. No, the, the, no, worst no, of, no. the worst of the worst of are people are people who leave the house and leave the lights on and you don't discover it for four or five days. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rick, tell us about your vision. I've been legally blind all my life. I've um, you know I've got some usable vision. One eye is essentially uh, totally blind. Um, the other eye measures about twenty one thousand which means what a normal person sees at 1,000 feet, i got to be at 20 feet. And it's, you know, just a pure academic thing. So yeah, I, I, I have, um, I suffer, well, suffer, it's the wrong way to describe it, but I hate, I have Charles Bonnet syndrome where I think I'm seeing things that aren't there um, because, you know, your brain tries to fill in the blank sometimes. So, you know, it, I, I think there's a lot of truth to saying when you've got low vision, sometimes you can almost be dangerous to yourself because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you know, you, I mean, you you think because of the context or you think you are that you are seeing things that really aren't there. Yeah, my brain does that, fills in the blanks all the time. That's very true. Yeah. 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 Now, sometimes uh, that can be funny. Uh, I have to say, Rick and I were at a Red Sox game at Fenway Park. And I'm half sight guiding with him. He has enough vision to <laughs> to, uh, to offer that service. I always use my cane crossbody when I'm doing that with Rick. And there's a repetitive arch-like motif uh, to the inner wall, and uh, his vision filled in between the left side of the arch and the right side of the arch. His vision called it an entrance, when in fact it was a wall, and the two of us Ouch. walked into it. Ouch! Bam! <coughs> we we healed. My braille watch did not. No, your braille watch. I was, I was wondering if you were going to talk about your braille watch. Oops. So, so what did I do to make you feel better? We went and we got some kettle corn. Yeah, right. kettle corn. <laughs> kettle corn will heal almost anything. That's what we're. That's what we're. We were going to get kettle, we we're going to get kettle corn when that happened. That's right. Yep. So, anyway, so yeah. All right, excellent. All right, so we've we've got an idea of what the of what the visual acuity of of uh, us folks who are here. So that that will tell the folks when we call on you, which we will pretty soon. Um, remember to tell us what your visual acuity is and a little bit about your history, so that we can evaluate um, what you're telling us. So, Brian, should we should we start with the simple question? Would you want vision back? What do you think? My answer is yes, hmm. um, and I think that's driven by the fact that I saw till I was eleven. Yeah, and uh, while I didn't go crazy when I had some vision, even post accident, for those oh eight or nine years. Um, I still utilize my vision, and I do miss things like color, um, things that are 
you don't get the nature of something by touching it. I would say, for example, most flowers, the very fact that you touch them alters them and distorts what complexity there is there. Mm -hmm. Those would be a couple of examples. Um, I do think there has been more advantages than disadvantages in me being blind, but they are mostly social, not um, not so visual. much yeah. visual. Miss Marianne, yes or no? Nope. 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 I'm pretty content with my lot. Yeah. Um, Mr. Larry. No, uh, I don't think so. I, I have a retrolentral fibroplasia, which is now retinopathy prematurity. And I know of people who gained their sight back who had RLF, lost it, gained it back, and they said for years they had so much trouble trying to just reacquaint themselves to seeing and all of the things that it took, you know, getting used to depth perception, things like that. They said it's almost a curse. At least it was for them. And I'm not sure that at the age of 67, I've never really seen. And it really doesn't matter to me. Right. 60 years old. Who right. cares? Yeah. <clears throat> nah. uh, so I, I, I'm going to give Rick a chance because I think that I suspect that Brian and Rick will be bookends. Um, but but my answer is absolutely not. And, and while I concur with the reasons that both of you guys have given, uh, another one for me is I, I would be scared to death of having to do some of the things that sighted people have to do, like drive. drive. Oh my Lord, do I not want to do that? Um, yeah. And and I mean there there are a lot of a lot of other things like that. I think that I think the depth perception thing is is a huge deal. Uh, I also think, I mean, I'm not going to suddenly lose my ability to read Braille, but I'm suddenly going to be placed in a position where people will expect me to be able to read print, and I'm not sure how easily I would, I would ever learn to do that. And, and, and so what essentially I would gain by getting my vision back, at least as I perceive it, um, is absolutely nothing. And what I would lose to a very large extent is, is my capacity to value myself uh, for the person that I am. I, like Marianne, I am really comfortable with with who I am as a blind person, and the last thing in the world I want to do is change it. But Mr. Rick, I suspect that you would like your vision back. Uh, you might be a little bit surprised, Paul. And and what you just articulated was really brilliant. I, I like that very much. That was very good. Um, because I think a lot of people, you know, share that with you, but don't can't articulate it the way you did. So, um. When I like my vision back, there's I, I'm pretty content with what I have. Um, um, the um, it, it's interesting that you talked about driving. If there was one aspect of my life that I would want to be able to introduce, that would be the ability to drive, and that's because transportation was always used as something to control me with. Okay. So yeah. in, in the days of Uber, you know, Uber has been very freeing. Yeah, it's of, not as important. It, it, it's not yep. as important anymore. So if Uber had always been around the whole time I was growing up, I may not have felt that at all. But the whole time growing up, if I wanted to get from point A to point B, I'd ask my mom to do it. Oh. And it was always an issue. And 
Yeah. And you also have the, the the all of the delivery apps that are out there, um, yeah, which yeah, also yeah. make a huge difference oh, for yeah. us. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it is. Absolutely. I mean, oh. it is so much easier for us to be blind now. Yeah, um, absolutely. Than, than it was say ten years ago. Yeah, um, no, it really is. So, so, so yeah, I used to say that pretty readily, and people would say, "Yeah, I get that." But now, in the, you know, uh, it's not quite as important as yep. it, as it may have been in the past. So, no, I, I, you know, I no. I, I would not go to out of my way to get my vision back now. All right. So let's um let's open it up to some of our other folks who have raised hands. No, there are a few. I know Miss Hazelton's there. Jane. Jane Delano is probably there. Who do, who do you want to go with, Miss Marianne? Sorry. Jane, you can you can you can unmute. Hey Jane. Congratulations on your birthday last week. I don't know where she... Miss Jane, you... Well, we can get to um, Nancy. Sure. Yes, I'm here. Hi, thank you. And yeah, so a lot of us had a birthday this this last uh, week and last few days. But um, I was born um they they think that i might have seen up to four months because i i they said something about me following objects up until i was four months old then i was i had a very high fever due to kidney infection and uh my octopus center optic center was damaged um when they they thought it was, was um, optic nerves, unhealthy optic nerves, so they just weren't fully developed for mm-hmm. years because my eyes are all perfect. The rest of my eyes perfect. But um, an MRI of my brain revealed I was eating that for headache reasons, but uh, they didn't find anything that caused my headaches, but they did find the vision center. They called it septo-optic hypoplasia. And the doctor nice. said my optic nerves were 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 fine, but you know it's still. So, I have light perception in my right eye, and I don't know if it's as strong as it was when I was little. I, I can't really tell. Um, I can just tell. I can't tell where anything's coming from. I can just tell light and dark. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely want my vision back. I definitely yeah. do. And interesting. And, I would love to learn where I go to find out about this, the research that you've been talking about with uh, getting the vision and so forth. So I would love more information on that, please. Thank you. Um, you're you're welcome. Um, but but don't disappear quite yet because I, okay. I I want to ask you a question. Sure. Um, why? I mean, you sound like a person who has not had very much vision, and and therefore, at least compared with the three of us who have spoken so far right. um, and all of us have essentially said, we don't want our vision back. Can can you, can you give us some of the reasons why you would like yours back? I just think there would be so many things that would be, one of the things is that would be easier, you know, having sight rather than not. And there are so many things I'd like to do. And one of the things I mean, yeah, there's a, a few personal things I'd love to do. I'd love to be able to just pick up a book and read it and not worry about whether it was accessible. I'd love to be able to just go on 
offline and, and play a game, whether, you know, not worry about whether it's accessible. I'd love to be able to read for others. And I'd love to be able to do for yeah. other blind people what I've always wanted, how I've always wanted sighted people to treat me. That's oh, cool. one of the that? things. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the things that I would love to do if I were sighted. Um, if I were sighted from the beginning of my life, I probably would have been a surgeon. Uh, you know, that, that, would, that nice. would have been my first. But since I don't, I mean, if I ever get my sight on earth, I swear, I, you know, I want to work for Ira. I want to just, I want to do things to help other blind people. But so the service is there, but yes, I, I do need the vision. And I, I, okay. The, the depth perception and all that could be a little scary. It could be a little nervous or whatever, but it, I want the challenge to be able to learn to read. I know what the print letters are shaped yep. like the, the non-cursive yep. ones. Yep, me too. And yep. and so I know that I believe that I could read print. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, it might take me a while to work up speed, but I believe that I could do it. And just so many things that I would just, I would love to do. And I, I would love to be able to just ride a bike and just, mm -hmm. you know, not always have to worry about, you know, whether I have a tandem bike or not, if I want to ride a bike somewhere. So driving wouldn't be immediate, but eventually I, I would want that. You know, I'd have to get yep. used to things first. Well, but yeah, thank, so I thanks so much for sharing with us. I, I appreciate you. that. Excellent. Thank you. Mr. Rick? Um, you have Debbie. His Hi, Debbie. Can talk. Hello. Hello, hello, everybody. Well, you know, this is really interesting. Okay, so I was born, and I still call it RLF. I don't care me, what anybody too. says. <laughs> I'm stubborn about that. I will not call it ROP. Um, <laughs> um, Especially since it was I, a definition that was that was developed by lawyers, not by uh, exactly not by doctors. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, my mother would always say, "Well, I don't know that your retina was your retina was um, your retinopathy was premature." You know, like technically, you could exactly. see before they gave you too much oxygen. So exactly, screw that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I had I had light perception until I was 19, and um, I had it more in my left eye than my right because I had a cataract in my right. But um, I still have it a lot of times. It's really kind of interesting. And some people tried to say uh, that it was facial vision and or a hearing thing. But I've had O&M instructors and guide dog trainers be pretty strongly impressed and go, wow, you really are, you know, I'm saying I'm seeing stuff. I'm saying that I'm seeing whether it's a, a truck or a car. I may not be able to make out what color it is, but I can tell that there's something coming up in front of me. And I don't think I'm hearing it. I think I'm getting it somehow through my brain. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, it's interesting because uh, most of my life I have said, no, if I had a chance to see, I would not take it. And, and most of that was to interact, was to uh, sort of react to all the sight of people that were like, oh, you poor thing. Don't you want to be, don't you want to be healed? You know? And, but in the last few years, I have been saying, you know, if I had, if I were given the chance without, I mean, I don't want to go 
line up for research. And I don't know that I want to be somebody's experiment. But if I knew that I was going to get the opportunity, I might just take it. I'd be really curious. Now, I might regret it because of things like the depth perception. And I might see people that I thought I would think were absolutely beautiful and go, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Save that for next week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. I heard you guys. Yeah. That's an interesting. And I met somebody today named Beauty. And I thought, God, I wonder if Beauty's ugly. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Maybe her I first name be... is Black or Beast. Black Beauty. Oh, oh <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Good one, Paul. Very quick. Um, but, but, you know, I think part of my wanting to see would be to have people say, oh, would you give me a ride? It's just down the road. And I'd be, That'd be cool. wanting, wanting to say to some people, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going that way. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, have, there is a little bit of that payback. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, but yeah, learning to read, um, interesting. I would love to drive. Now, you say you don't want to drive. I, I do not. Bring, give me one of them driverless cars man i'll take it i've dreamed about being in one of those there you go <laughs> so so yeah excellent That's very good stuff. well, well we thank will you. we will we will talk to you later on some of our other issues which are which good. are also interesting i think so thank you Ms. Deborah. of course they are you bet mm-hmm. her, her proper name was sleeping <laughs> <laughs> melody you may speak Hello. Um, I also have RFLROP. I think Terry syndrome is the third lesser known name for it. In a stage five type one, there are actually five stages and two types. I memorize medical information all the time. And it doesn't take me too much effort. And I, all my life, I had, I had maintained that I still generally do today that I would not want my vision back. I would not, I would not know the phenomenal amount of people I have met. Um, sighted and blind, I do not believe if I if I ever had a vision, I have none. I had a vitreectomy that took it, the oxygen. I think I was probably a stage 4B in the left eye for a little while, and I had had glaucoma at a month. And it was the retina just didn't have time to form, and the oxygen the incubator just did the rest of it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there was a book on the Braille monitor, or mentioned in the Braille monitor. Yes, they read it. I'm sorry. <laughs> called Coming to Our Senses, and it spoke of, people getting their vision back or hearing who had not had it in years or had never had it and they didn't do well. They declined because their brains adapted to life with no sight or no hearing. And it's kind of Mm -hmm. what we do. We have to, to survive. The exception is not only do I not want to have to be on other people's time and schedule rides because of my situation, everything in addition that is so debilitating, I've been thinking lately, and I've had people see this as a, a point of desperation because I'm not known for this. If I have to survive, if I am forced to, then I think I may need sight. And I'm not, it, it's, a, it's a flip because of how hard things are becoming and how desperate and hopeless I feel. Um, and in some of these, the mental health system is just, it's unkind anyway. And it is that. To have the, the the double prosthetic eyes as well. I don't wear them now, three pairs, but just that it's a, it's a personal decision. And with these extra conditions that are not noticed, that can take me at a moment's notice that are just mm-hmm. not 
I, 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 you know, it's, it's, the system is so, and it's focused on, oh, well, you live with your parents. Well, yeah, but as a tenant, you know, and it's just not when I have a conversation, when I'm getting chest pains or when I'm having to, you know, I, I think is sight really going to be what pulls me through. Of course, it's not going to happen, but it's that point of desperation. And I would also yeah. love to be able to look at the faces and the hair of people that I, I knew who have passed or who I know. I, I, I definitely want to know. I want to know what a color is. I want to know what a picture yeah. is. And how, you know, there are people that say they don't care and I've always wanted to, but generally no. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. I think there are a lot of people in ACB who would be concerned if you, um, if, if you decided that, uh, that you weren't jumping up and down to stay around. So don't make that decision lightly, dear one. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting right. because I also have an acquired hearing impairment and not many yep. people know that. And yep. it's kind of that my frustration there and the processing and things that I had had even before that, mm -hmm. I feel for people who have lost their vision because I would give anything to hear as I once did. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Brian, any <laughs> questions for Melody before are, we let her go? Other, other than um, when you are dealing with multiple disability type things, do you think that having one of that variety not to be gone. You mentioned you'd give anything to have your hearing back to what it was. Which would you choose, vision or hearing? I would definitely choose my hearing. Yep. Because I don't and know. Is that because you've been more dependent on it? Because you've been yes. dependent on it for so long? Yes. And I can't hear a street crossing now. I can't hear devices or recognize voices or recognize where a sound is, especially in a crowd. And I'll have, you know, my best pal and he's really picking up on it. You, you're not hearing me. You're not hearing your devices, are you? And since he's an AT specialist certified, he's like, yeah, we'll keep it down, you know. And now it concerns me because I can't hear the traffic correctly. I cannot, you know, equilibrium is affected. My migraines are awful. And I, I'm concerned if I can eventually yep. get out of here, I don't think I can do this and live completely alone long-term. And this is the only thing the low-income system is going to allow me to do without a higher level of care. It's like, I, I can't work for a call center anymore. I can't have sound directly channeled into my ear. You know, the guide dog thing is going to be super tough. Mm -hmm. So yes, it, it's, it's one of the most debilitating. Okay. I just don't make it know. You know, Smelody, I think thank that, you very much. Yep, go ahead, that, Brian. Yes, thank you again. Uh, but I think that the one thing that, deaf people fear the most is blindness and one of the things that blind people fear the most is deafness yes. because they're so true dependent on the yeah. opposite yep. sense if you will right yeah yep so good thank Next. you so much with melody steve has his hand raised steve steve dresser hi paul um, hey Mr. steve dresser how are you doing yeah good brian good uh Glad to be back here again. I'm I'm setting all kinds of records for being on this uh, program are, yeah. this year, but um, you've uh, you really um, hit me with a topic that I want to talk about this week. Uh, I have been blind from birth. I had uh, ROPLF XYZ and you know all of the other <laughs> things you call it. I, I just want to say them all, so you know no nobody will be offended or everyone will. Uh, we'll get all that out of the way to begin with. Um, I had light perception when I was a kid um, to the point, not that I could see colors, but to the point where a white light would 
be different would look different to me than a red light would uh yeah. in terms that oh. one <clears throat> one might be brighter i don't remember which one and and i guess it doesn't really matter but all that's gone now um i have prosthetic eyes and one of the things that scared me about getting those was i thought that i would lose what little whatever was left of my light perception and of course i did because once you don't have the eyes you obviously don't have the light perception but i found that i could stand next to a window and know when the sun is out and not necessarily be outside but still know somehow when the sun is out and i have no idea why that works i just know that it does i think it's Maybe the heat of the sun uh -huh. on my eyelids and stuff like that. Um, but as far as blind, you know, wanting to get my vision, I don't really want to get my vision back. And the main reason that I don't is because I really truly believe that there are things that if your brain doesn't learn by the time you're five years old, you ain't going to learn them. Um, you know, this whole idea of what depth means to a sighted person. I mean, I know what depth means to me when I touch an object, but to see depth, to be able to look at a drawing and make sense of the way the lines are set up on paper and, and know that that's depth, that's not going to happen for me. And it just never will. Now, all that said, what I really want, I would like to be able to get not my sight, but a lot of the information that is available to sighted people. And I don't care how I get it, but I would like it. So if you could, for example, have some kind of talking implant in your brain that would, that would tell you what it sees, that, yes. that would satisfy that, you? That, that would work for me. Yep. Um, be, because my biggest you know, the thing I struggle with most about being blind is all of the things that I want to do and the obstacles that I run into when I try to do them. And I've worked around a lot of stuff and I'm, I'm going to continue to do so for the rest of my life. But it sure would be a lot easier sometimes if, if I didn't have to yep. work so hard to to get the same thing that's, that I see sighted people do effortlessly. Brian, any thoughts about um, Steve's technological solution? You know, that's one of those things that I struggle with. You know, I'm a big advocate of audio description, right? It, mm -hmm. it has made a huge difference in my life to be able to access those things. But there ain't enough time for them to describe in that moment all the things that a sighted person is seeing. That's true. In that moment. And so the, the, the kind of interface that you're describing, would it be audio? And then I'd have to learn how to speed listen even more than I do with a synthesizer. Or would it be you would simply know this at that moment? That would make the difference for me. Th but that, again, th go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's what that's more what I'd want because I'd, I'd want to just be able to know. I'd, I'd want something that would be the equivalent of of 
what happens it, when you so when you it, realize something through thought you know so it would fire up your your the optic part of your brain even though you don't have eyes yeah the, the what yeah. The, the part of the brain that actually interprets what yeah. the eye sees and turns it into useful information and and i haven't even begun to think about how that should work um you know I mean, but, there, but i i there agree with you Brian, sorts of, audio yeah. wouldn't yeah. do it yeah there there are all sorts of science fiction stories about about blind people getting their vision back and it being just absolutely wonderful but um huh, not not for me that's, yeah but that's yeah. written by people who are looking at it from the point of view of having lost their vision as opposed to looking at it from the point yes. of view of we never had it yeah and I, I, yeah i mean that's that's a big deal for me mr steve yeah. thank you so much sir maybe we'll hear from you later on some of the okay. other issues Miss Marianne. Jeanette has her hand raised. Jeanette. <clears throat> hey, Jeanette. Oh. Sorry. Whoa, it's, hold on. Sorry. I've hit it twice. I don't know why it's not. Um... Rick, I can't get her button to. Uh -huh. uh, Jeanette needs to unmute herself. Oh, okay. Thank you. I didn't do it wrong. Um, hey, Paul, while she's doing that, you know what, what occurs to me is I said no, absolutely not. And, and yep. I mean that. But you know what does occur to me is that when I was a kid and I could see like enough to ride a bike along the side of the road, like and I can see yep. light coming from a window, um, yep. lights overhead, that wouldn't be so bad. I wouldn't mind having that much back. Yep. That's I, um, aspect. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much I, I, I have forgotten how much I valued it because it was gone for me by the time I was five or six. Right. Um, but I, so I've, I've sort of forgotten. I, I remember it used to be useful though, because I mean, I could, I could actually hone in on a lamp that was at the other end of a corridor and walk straight down a corridor, which was really pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you know that was that was I, kind of valuable. I get that. I but I don't. I don't know that I'd, I. I wouldn't I don't do know anything. If I'd want it back or not, and well, that's interesting because it's going to be a part of our question later. Okay. W would you be interested in getting a tiny bit of vision back, which is what a lot of the vision research is offering now? And and so it's a it it's it's going to be a question Just we'll get a chance dimension. to talk about some oh, more good. later. So Jeanette is now unmuted. Hey Jeanette. Hey, Jeanette. Hi, everybody. Thank you. There she is. I guess my story will be different from most of what I'm hearing. I know, Jeanette. Um, <laughs> Hi, Jeanette. Hi. Good to hear you, Marianne. Thank you. <laughs> um, I realized in seventh grade that my vision must be different from the other kids. In one classroom, my desk was next to the window. And if the shade was up and the sun was shining on my desk, I couldn't even see that there was print on the page. But if I pulled the shade down, then everything was fine. It was normal. But by seventh, uh, by ninth grade, um, the teachers were all putting me in the front row and I still couldn't read the blackboard. Mm -hmm. So it was the summer after ninth grade, I think, or maybe the summer after 10th grade, when I was diagnosed with a juvenile macular degeneration. 
So it's been a very slow uh, progress. Um, my dad, we've been, we've been genetically tested three times now. The first time in 1977 at NIH, uh, and then at Will's Eye, and then uh, uh, down at U of P, uh, Dr. Ailman at U of P. And each time we don't match any known juvenile macular degeneration, and therefore it is repeatedly assumed that it was a genetic mutation in my dad, because mm -hmm. when my dad started at a young age, um, it was actually Dr. Feynman that my grandparents took him to. Wow. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, the, he, the, the doctor said, look around at your family. Is there anyone else who lost vision at an early age? And they just couldn't find anybody. So uh, it, it's just been assumed all along. It was a genetic mutation in my dad. He was, uh, sorry. I said fascinating. Oh, <laughs> yep. So yeah, especially after I learned that that's where he went and I, you know, had gone to that facility. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway. Um, so would you like your vision back? Yes. Or where is it now? Yes. It's at the point where, for example, I live in a senior community, so I walk halls. I have knocked over a wet carpet sign. <laughs> I have actually walked into, bumped against a cleaning cart in the hall. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now using a walker. I'm, I'm, I'm a couple weeks away from 80. Nice. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, so one day I was walking down the hall with my walker and not looking ahead, looking on the floor, because I had recently knocked over a wet carpet sign. And there was another woman coming in my direction doing the same thing. And we bumped uh, <laughs> against each other's walkers. So, you know, I know I could get into a lot of trouble. Um, now, do, do you want do you want all your vision back or you just want enough so that so that you're not dangerous anymore? Well, I think if it's going to come back, I would like it all back. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I actually am. And the, the eye doctor that I chose to go to, um, we've actually moved. Uh, now we're closer to Philadelphia. I grew up in Allentown. Mm -hmm. um, but um, anyway, we've moved to Harleysville for anybody who knows where that is. Um, so you think all or nothing at all? All of it back or don't bother. Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, I would like it back. Oh, what I started to say is the doctor that I chose to go to down here, the eye doctor, is related to Will's eye and was involved with the um, uh, clinical trials uh, for stem cell research. And nice. So, yeah, so, you know, every time I go to see him, I'll say, you know, I'm waiting for stem cells, and he'll say, I have you in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I don't fit the mold. <laughs> Very good. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those kinds of research um, later in the program, though I don't think either Brian or, or I would classify ourselves as experts on the subject, but we will, we will talk a little bit about those, that, those kinds of researches. So I, I know that there was someone who desperately wanted to know something about them. We'll tell you a little bit about what we know Thank later you. on. 
Thank you for yep. calling in. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks very much, Miss Marianne. Diane Scalzi, you may unmute. Hey, Diane. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? We can. Yes, indeed. Okay. Um, well, I was also, I also uh, am, am blind because of RLP slash ROP, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think I must have had light perception at some point because I remember um, like riding in a riding in a car with the family and being able to see lights going on and off, you know, I suppose as we drove by um, street lights or lights mm -hmm. on buildings, I never knew, you know, where they were or anything like that. But I, I do remember them flashing on and off. And I remember seeing lightning once. And I remember that I could see uh, a flashlight. You know, I could tell if a flashlight was on or off if, if it was close enough to my eye. Um, so at this point, I wouldn't want to have my sight back except to, to be able to drive. <laughs> um, I, there, there was a movie that came out several years ago called At First Sight, and it starred um, Val Kilmer. And it basically told, you know, about this guy who was blind, and he was um, a massage therapist and um so you know he basically one of the patients that he worked on became his girlfriend and he found out about an operation that could give him his sight back and he had it and got his sight back and the movie you know goes into what it was like for him trying to adjust to being able to see and um i i had the impression watching it that it was it was that it might have been a realistic portrayal uh, of what it was like for him, you know, to try to live as a sighted person. And then at the end of the movie, he loses his sight again. So he has to adjust to being blind again. Um, so I don't know if, you know, that movie is, is probably out on DVD. And, you know, if anyone is interested, you know, you might want to see it. Um, anything in particular that makes you not, that makes you not want to want your sight back, Diane? Um, I'm just, <laughs> I've been around so long and being blind that, you know, I don't know if I'd want to learn all the stuff that I'd have to learn. Um, you know, I've been around 70 years as a blind person. So, or is mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So um, that that's the reason. Well, Except thank you I very said, much for could, sharing. If I could drive. Uh, again, <laughs> when you... Yeah, drive it. That's a common theme tonight, isn't it? It's <laughs> that thing that sighted people to some degree take for granted, the gift of mobility. Um, that is one of those things that tilt in the direction of if I could have everything that I would have if I could drive, then the vision isn't the issue. This is one of the discussions, you know, when NFB got involved in that uh, whole <clears throat> uh, creating a car that a blind person could drive uh, mm -hmm. yep. a few years yep. back. And I, at the time, I said, you know, I don't want to drive. I want to get around. And ah. if I could afford a chauffeur, 
I would never want to get behind the wheel. That's just not my thing. It's never, never been of interest to me. So I, I find it interesting that that's the one thing that might put, put blind people toward getting their vision restored, if that were possible. Yeah. So let's I'd see, who else? Rather, Go ahead. I said I would probably rather though <clears throat> have a self-driving car than have to <clears throat> drive my, have to learn how to drive. <laughs> I'm with you. Very Getting good. Close. Thank you, Diane. You're welcome. Pam Coffee. Hey, Pam. Mute. Yes, and I too am, well, as a matter of fact, Diane and I are just about the same age. So to, to give you a perspective, I'm about <coughs> to turn 70. Um, but I too was... I still call it RLF, even though no one can pronounce it, you know, the words. <clears throat> um, I had usable light perception until I was about 21. And it probably diminished gradually, possibly, but I wasn't aware of it until... One day, I just happened to turn the light on and realized I couldn't see it. And at first, I thought the bulb was burned out. And well, it wasn't. So, <clears throat> hi. But, um, yeah. So, um, I do not have usable light perception now. Uh, would I want to gain my sight for a long time? I thought, yeah, it would be nice. And there are a few things that it would be nice to be able to do independently. One of them is when you have to go shopping for clothes and shoes. And I hate to do those things. But when you have to and you can't see the color of that outfit and know for firsthand whether it looks okay with those shoes or not or whatever. <clears throat> that would be nice, but probably 15 or 20 years ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, I read an article. Um, I don't remember where I read it now, but I read an article about a man who I think had never had usable vision. And obviously his circumstances were different than than mine but the point is he had as i recall never had usable vision and they were able to do <clears throat> some kind of surgery or some kind of procedure that um allowed him to see and he lived to write the article about it or whatever but it was so overwhelming when he went from being totally, pretty much totally blind to all of a sudden being able to see color and not understanding what color is in the visual, strictly visual sense. He had to learn, or well, he was trying to, um, What's red? What's green? What's yeah? And, and and he would see an article, and uh, 
item in front of him and it took him a long time to figure out that, oh, that's a table, that's a chair, that's a, uh, a bookshelf full of books. Whereas if he had reached out and touched it, which he had done all of his life, he would have known what that item was. And he said it nearly drove him crazy. And if I remember correctly, he did lose his sight again or was in the process of losing it. I wish I still had that article. Um, but I really look at it in a different perspective now um, other than it'd be nice to be able to see color on the whole, I think, well, you know, I think it, especially at age almost 70, I don't learn as fast as I used to. And I'm not sure how well I would adapt to trying to figure out this depth perception business. And is that red or is that green? I mean, I can tell they're different, but is that, which one's red, which one's green? Uh, and figuring out uh, facial features and all that stuff. I think it would be kind of overwhelming. So, um, Thank you, Miss Pam. I, I use Uber a lot and, uh, I can, so I can get around, and I use apps to help with color and yep. identifying this and that. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Very good. Thank Ms. you, Linda, Pam. Thank you. At least Ms. For Pam, now. I'm sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Constance? Yeah. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I also have kind of an interesting story. I um, had stage five ROP, RLF. I prefer L RLF as well, ethically and whatever. <laughs> um, but anyway, I grew up with usable uh, travel vision in one eye. It was stage five, but I could tell where buildings were they were large objects uh, from several feet away and uh, I could see things like lampposts and lightning if it was close that was an interesting experience uh, <laughs> uh, some of it was pretty close too uh, but anyway um, but uh, nobody told my parents who figured out even though the doctors didn't believe it that I was seeing something and um and oh and i used to i used to steer my dad's tractor because if he was getting ready to plant and was picking up rocks in the field he needed somebody to stand, sit on the tractor and steer and he'd tell me where to steer which way left right hard right anyway um as i got older nobody told my parents that i should wear sunglasses and i started developing cataracts and um and then they, they got thicker. And then one day in the um, early O's, uh, my good eye, I had one good eye, or, or well, better eye that had the travel vision. And it, and it blanked out and I hit a street pole really hard. Oops. And uh, yeah, it was one of those awful things that's right in the middle of a narrow sidewalk. Why they would put those things there, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> so um, the point is, is that I ended up, it was strange because it knocked both of my eye perceptions out of place. And that meant that the left one was almost total all of a sudden. It was not seeing well. 
And the right one all of a sudden had these lights. Like I, when I would walk past the store, the right one, which I had had so little light perception that I had to cover the other eye to even see out of it. And I thought, whoa, this one is seeing. And I, I, I called a local cataract because my retinal specialist said, no, we don't do cataracts. And he said, sounds like you have a high uh, risk case go to Doheny Eye Institute here in LA. Uh, I'm in LA County. And um, mm -hmm. I did. And they uh, referred me to a, a high risk cataract specialist. He said, I think I know, I know someone who will do the cataracts, but he also specializes in ROP surge, microsurgeries and uh, related conditions. So I had that I had two surgeries, one in 05 and one in 05 seven, I believe it was. And I have to tell you, I am highly in, in favor of getting more vision. I because when he took he took the he did the weak eye first. And when he took the bandages off for the first time in my life, this bright light went through you know right into that eye. Because you know the doctors they'll put that flashlight right up there, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I was like, can't you Keep that a couple feet away. But anyway, um, and I almost screamed, but I didn't. Because and and over the months and years, because eventually uh, he wanted to do more surgery as far as putting a, a lens on it. And I said, no, it might change again. Over the months and years, the weaker eye has adapted to the point now where um, it's learning to work together with the other one and i have useful travel vision in that and and how cool both is of that? them mm -hmm. pardon i said how, how cool, cool is that, that? that's excellent it, it's yep. cool because you know i mean i'm in a way it's frustrating because i'm right to the border i can see different size print letters with the good one but not enough detail because of the rop scarring that he couldn't get mm -hmm. out couldn't get all of it out so I can't see the minute details or I can see where the buttons are on a telephone, but not what shape those tiny things are. Are they round or rectangle or yeah. But I think um, I, you know, I, I really believe and my brain has had to learn to kind of work together on this. I wear 28 power glasses which are way more than my brain perceives but they don't make anything else uh center for the partially sighted had to close due to lack of funding in la county but i wear them they're the only things plus sunglasses i i wear bigger ones that go over i can get them at walgreens whatever but you know i'm like okay i don't know if it's going to progress anymore but i keep wearing them because uh it improved a little bit and I had to, you know, I found that I had to commit myself to change emotionally, psychologically. I had to say to myself, you know what, if it improves, you're going to have to get used to that. And you're going to mm -hmm. have to ask people things and everything else. And yeah. and I really strongly believe this. I believe that even a, a, a relatively small improvement can can improve one's life. And Excellent. after after a while, you know, at first it was scary 
Uh, but after a while, I thought, you know, this is my new reality. I'm going to commit myself to change. Thank that you so much. Very, for very sure. important. Yep. I appreciate that information. Thank sure. you. And I would like I, that. Yeah. Great. I want to tell you, Paul, that I said I was blinded when I was 11, and I lost the last of my vision when I was about 20 or so. And during that time, I had maybe four different eye surgeries for one reason or another. You know, once your eyes get damaged in some fashion, then it just opens the door to other things. I probably would have never had cataracts had that not happened, but I did. Uh, I had something called Iris Bombay where the iris grows over the pupil mm -hmm. uh, and they corrected that. And it was this, as if I were going, I'd lose vision over time and then have a surgery and I'd get a little of it back. Then I'd mm -hmm. lose to a lower point and get a little back. So it was one of those diminishing, but on a little bit of a roller coaster ride in the process. Yep. I think that um, that gave me an opportunity to appreciate vision multiple times, the restoration of, of some vision. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. So I think I think that's an important thing to keep in mind in all of this. Who else do we have waiting in the wings? We have um, phone number ending in 596. This is Michael, and I have been uh, blind. I, all I have is light perception. I've been, you know, I, I've had that all of my life. I was, I was a, I was a preemie. Me say I had too much oxygen. Uh -huh. so this is all I know. If I were to get my vision back, I would go nuts. So, and and another <laughs> thing, you know, me personally, hey, this is the way the Lord made me, and if He wanted me to see, He would provide a way. And if so, He did, and if He did, you'd live with it. I would have to learn. I would probably have to learn, learn to learn to live with it, because you know, because I wouldn't know what what things but, were. I'd have to adjust to it. But yeah, me, but you, me personally, I don't, I don't think I wouldn't want it. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, no, I mean, I don't. I don't know if I would. I, you know, I mean, I, I probably would. You know, like, why? Why would you want me to see or whatever or why? Or, yep. But I, I don't really find myself asking like, right? You know, why am I blind, Lord? I don't. Exactly. I don't ask that. Because yep. this is this is how I know this, so I I just learned to live with it, and that's it. So yep. this is all I know. Yep. Gotcha. Cool, Michael. Thank, thank you. you, Michael. You're welcome. Where, where are you from, Michael? I'm uh, in Ohio. Ah, uh, oh, nice. Ohio. Welcome. It's yep. State of Ohio. Thank you. All right. Thank you again. Sean Barrett has a sandriest. Hey, Sean. Hello, Sean. Hello. Am I unmuted? You, you are. are thank indeed. you. Um, I have ROP. Right to hear yours too, both of you. I have ROP. Very little light perception on my life. I don't have any now. And, you know, I have a lot of curiosity about this. I mean, if I were, now that, but the emotional upheaval and all that stuff, that would be tough and the trauma of, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, don't you? I, have, I like to go to space. That feels yeah. like, I just have a lot of curiosity about other dimension of color and uh, facial expressions and you know looking at somebody from across the room and just a lot of top things that I totally cannot relate to and so I'd like to try it but I, I, I think it's not something I, I think, sit around and think about yeah well again 
Uh, I always tell, I should say that I worked in a rehabilitation center for like 30 plus years. So I was put in contact with a lot of people who were relatively newly blinded. And one of the things uh, we always talked about, uh, and this is one-on-one, -on -one, this is not something that was part of a curriculum, was the importance of accepting your blindness as part of your rehabilitation. Not to be sitting around waiting for the cure to arrive next week, right. but getting on with your life um, as a person who needs to function as a blind person. Absolutely. But you mentioned outer space. Um, I was blinded six months before man set foot on the moon. And God, I wanted to see that so bad. Um, and although there have been some spectacular efforts to try to um, give some kind of graphical representation of things like stars, it's right. simply an academic understanding sure. if you haven't seen them before. Yes, it is. Um, but the same thing is true for horizon. Yeah, sunrise, uh, why sunset. Would, why would you have to see to go into space? You wouldn't have to see to go into space. You wouldn't. But to experience this idea, for example, stars twinkle in the night. They twinkle because the light is being diffracted by our atmosphere. You get into space, there is no atmosphere anymore, and these twinkling points of light become, well, what do you call it? Steady points Fixed. of light. Yep. And you cannot look at them and say, this star is closer to me than that star, because the distances are so vast. Unlike perspective, you know, this, this that we've been talking about earlier, you just can't imagine the visual associated with that and the information that it imparts. Unless somebody describes it to you, and then you're getting information at least secondhand. I agree. And, you know, just, just interacting with other people. Sitting across the from somebody, sure. looking in their eyes, yeah. looking at their, looking yep. at how you read books and it says he smiled, but it didn't reach his eyes. Stuff like that. I don't know what that looks like. If I could exactly. see that, though, in another person, I might be able to, you know, relate to them differently. But... I think of things like microscopes and telescopes. Microscopes are designed to see things that are too small to see. And let me tell you, if they're too small to see, they're too small to feel. Yeah. Uh, sure. Or to see things that are too far away. And if they're too far away, I'm certainly not going to get to feel them the way that these instruments allow the distant to become close and the small to become large. Uh, I kind of envy that ability. So, Sean, I, I'm going to ask a question, and if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to. Um, but uh, those of us who know you well know that that you are, in fact, a practicing attorney. And do you feel that that one of the reasons why you might want your vision back is is that your absence of vision is a disadvantage in in, in practicing? Um, I wouldn't say it's a disadvantage. That, I mean, I, but I know there are areas where 
I, I talked to a woman not too long ago who's losing her vision, who's been a law firm where she proofreads mm -hmm. documents all day and she's having difficulty with that. So right. There are parts of the law that are, are more difficult than others. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. So, um, I have a lot you, to, you know. Go ahead, Brian. Wouldn't you think that um, it would be impacting your ability to uh, do any case that relied on on pictures as evidence? Yeah, to some in, extent. In that type of law? A lot of that can be described because, I mean, like I yeah. do ADA enforcement now. <clears throat> we represent plaintiffs. And <clears throat> a lot of what I do, the architectural part is, I have the pictures described and, um, you know, I have a pretty good picture in my head about how the room is laid out mm -hmm. or how the, yeah. uh, and I take notes on all that, but I mean, yeah, it's better if you can see it. I'm sure. I, I remember well, the one time one I got later to, out, right? yeah, the one time I got to serve on a jury, they tried to disallow my service because of pictures. And I was able to persuade them that, that, that I felt like I would be able to, to, uh, once they were described, be able to interpret what they meant. All right. Ms. Sean, thank you so much. We really appreciate your thank input. You. It's really been interesting. Thank you. Thanks. Donna Browning has her hand raised. Ms. Browning from Virginia. Hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, Miss Donna. I miss us sparring. Yeah, exactly. I look forward to the beginning. Um, in the meantime, um, so, you know, I have a little vision, as you know, um, yep. I have lost vision over time. <clears throat> I have to say that, um, even when I had my best vision, there's some things that were, you know, hard and I would love to have some of that vision back. Believe me, mm -hmm. I would, yep. um, you know, I rode a bike and stuff, but I had a friend who was totally blind and she rode a bike. She learned her whole yard. She learned how to get to her grandmother's over a bridge. She rode her bike to her grandmother's. She couldn't see a thing. She, that nice. was nice. Anyhow, so for me, you know, being partial <coughs> and knowing what I've lost, it's, yep. hard, it's hard. You know, as I'm going through a situation right now where there's something I need to get to and I can't, unless I ask people to do it. The bad thing is it's something that needs to be more anonymous so you know it's not like i don't want the whole world to know and it, gotcha. it's hard you know yeah. and so i'm like i really want that car that can drive me i would like to drive <laughs> yes but i'll take it if it will drive me mm -hmm. but for me yes i see faces sort of but the biggest thing about being partial is the misconceptions they think, oh, she can see. That's what they understand. They don't understand that in-between thing. They don't understand that there's a level that they don't, that they've never had themselves. They know what not seeing is. I remember spending a little time with you at the convention this summer, and um, you managed to acquire a magnifier that enabled you to read print much more easily. And it, you, you're like a little kid on Christmas morning. Yes, and today I got to play with it to see there's these um, there's these pictures hanging on the walls by my director's office, and I used it today to see how 
Well, I could see those pictures from my desk. That was amazing. It was cool very cool. I cannot wait to use this thing in a in an airport. Um, yep. and to take it and use it in a fast food restaurant and see what that's yep. gonna do for me. But so um, it, it really is amazing how much a small amount of difference uh, can can make in terms of your functionality, huh, Miss Miss uh, Donna? Oh yes, but it's 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 weird too because um you know they people see this and they're like, but you're walking with a cane. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it 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 causes its own problems too, being partial because I have so much explaining I've got to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm grateful. I can see. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful. It, it's hard though, especially this thing that I can't drive and. Yep. You know, oh, I agonize that as a kid. Uh, I spent. Have about enough vision that you wish for a heck of a lot more. <laughs> yeah, you know, I look at it as it was a tease, you know? Yeah. And I um, I, I agonized over it most of my life. I, I grieved it. I did not do well with this situation. I didn't accept really this situation until my first conference. When I came to my first ACV conference, that's when the healing started. Doesn't cool make, it doesn't make things easier. It just makes it. I know that I have a bigger community now that I didn't have before to help me work through the emotional stuff if I need it. That is so cool. Thank you, Miss Donna. Anything yeah. for Miss Donna, Brian, or shall we move on? Uh, again, um, if if it would require significant sacrifice on your part, whether it be financial sacrifice or um, you know, having to move across the country to do it so you'd have to leave friends and family behind to do it or whatever, would getting more vision be worth that? Yes, I Never would do. I would do whatever I could. Whatever it took. Whatever yeah. it took. I absolutely would. Very good. Ms. Donna, thank you, dear. We thank appreciate you. it. You're welcome. Good talking to you guys tonight. You too. Phone, phone number ending in 219. Hey, Paul and Brian, this is Peter. Oh, Hello. Peter is going to be an interesting, an, an interesting person to talk with. Tell us, Peter, um, at this point, would you want your vision back? Never. <laughs> so, no, Brian, do you know I, uh, do you know Peter's story? No. I, I've, so, been, I've been sighted and blind four times. And um, so I lost, my, I lost my sight for the first time. I had 20-20 vision until 19, well, until I was eight years old. And then uh, I lost my, I lost one eye right away. And then uh, a year later, I lost the other eye. And um, I had light and color for a couple of years. And then uh, by the time I was, uh, by the time I was 11, I only had uh, a directional light. And um, then I got my eyesight back when I was 18. And, um, and I got a lot of, a lot of sight back, like instantly. And uh, um, I spent uh, seven years essentially um, in uh, sensory, in a state of sensory overload, depression, suicidal, 
Um, I finally made the transition after about seven years to um, being able to function uh, mostly in a sighted world. Um, um, had uh, you know, once you're in that place, then you're sort of committed to. Um, I got my sight back through surgery, and so once mm-hmm. you get to that point, then you're sort of committed to follow-up surgeries to maintain, and um, and then eventually um, I, I had really good vision for about 20 years, and then um, I uh, lost my eyesight again um, that uh, I was a piano tuner for a number of years, and... Um, and then uh, went to seminary and uh, lost my eyesight again. Well, my eyesight started declining the last month before I graduated from seminary. And then um, um, I, I had to have surgery following seminary, and my eye completely collapsed. And um, that I had um, choroidals, and um, the retina completely folded over. And uh, they were able to rebuild the eye from that. And I got even better vision than I'd had. And I had that for um, eight years. And then I, um, um, that uh, complications from the disease and uh, secondary glaucoma, I had to have surgery again. And um, my uh, cornea <clears throat> corrupted. And then I had to have a corneal transplant. And um, ultimately, um, in 2010, my retina completely collapsed, um, de- uh, detached. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, they tried a couple of things to, uh, uh, to repair that. And, uh, and finally, everything failed. And... Um, that uh, had my had uh, an evisceration done on the other eye, uh, so that I've got two two prosthetic eyes now, and um, I I had told the doctors that if there was a way that they they wanted to do an evisceration because they really have high hopes on um, eventually doing stem cell uh, regeneration, and. Um, um, I, you know, I said if if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen in three years. I would never do it again. I, uh, yep. That um, the the um, emotional um, uh, for for me the emotional transition was just too high. Um, the when I first got my eyesight back in 1970, um, they would walk me through the hospital. And um, I had to have uh, a, an attendant of some sort on either side of me and in front of me and behind me because I would last about 20 or 30 seconds before my brain just completely shut down and I passed out. Mm. Um, uh, making that transition from being blind to sighted was, um, it, was, it, it was horrid. Um, the the article that everybody's been been uh, and the movie that uh, that we've been talking about at first sight, um, the the movie is horrid. It has nothing to do with getting your eyesight back. It has everything to do with 
with a uh, sighted person's desire to um, regain sight <clears throat> in uh, sort of a biblical um, miracle story fashion, and it has nothing to do with what mm-hmm. uh, what what it's like. The article that they've been talking about um, is an article in um, Oliver Sacks's uh, book called "The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat." And it's available on BARD if you want to go and uh, read that article again. So, um, Brian, and that really. Any questions for Peter? Absolutely. I've got two or three. You found the first time very difficult, but you did it again. Right. You found that first time very, very difficult. Yep. You lost your sight. And you went through another surgery to get it back. Then you lost yep. your sight. Then you did another surgery. Why did yep. you keep going back to the well if you found it so excruciating? Um, I, um, I don't know. Why does a junkie keep going back to his drug? <laughs> uh, I, I, I really think it's the same thing. Um, and, and, um, because um, I, um, as as much as I, you know, there there is there is this desire to be able to be sighted, um, and I think that we buy into it, and when it's possible, uh, we keep thinking that we can do it, and to some extent I could, but I never did. I was never able to fully appreci- appreciate facial expressions i was never you know i never had depth perception um i was able to drive but um you know for the first uh it it was one of those weird things that uh for the first three years that i drove i couldn't drive without the window open because i i had no way of um having spatial orientation when i was just in the bubble of the car with the windows closed um I probably should never have been able to drive, but that because my vision, my vision level said that I could, um, I did. And, oh, gotcha. uh, I, I'm going to interrupt and ask you my yeah. question, and then and then I'll go back to Brian for his other two. So my question is: <clears throat> after you lost your vision the last time, you you eventually got. Uh, both your eyes enucleated. Did you did did you do the second eye, or did you do any of the enucleations so, so that you wouldn't be tempted anymore? Uh, no, I did uh, the first. The first eye was actually in 1971, and that I had um, I had uh, glaucoma in the left eye, and um, and then I had uh, whatever uh, no pressure in the right eye was that. Um, when when they could get the pressure down in the left eye to a reasonable level mm-hmm. in somewhere in the twenties, um, the the pressure in my right eye was zero, and they kept they kept they were afraid that the eye would collapse. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and when they got the pressure in the right eye up high enough to be sustainable, uh, then the pressure in the left eye was up in the high forties, low fifties. And um, yeah. Uh, and that you know, then I was then I had headache and vomiting and all that kind of yep. stuff from the glaucoma. Yep. So uh, they enucleated the left eye, 
and uh, and uh, that uh, then the uh, the vision in the right eye stabilized after that, and um, I, it's um, you know Brian the the thing is is that um, once once I had made that transition. Uh, to get my sight back and had gone through all that pain, it was like um, then not getting my eyesight back would have been throwing away those 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so then I went back to the well, and um, uh, I had not realized when I got my eyesight back the uh, second time, um, so it would have been the third time that I saw I was unprepared for the fact that every time you get your sight back, you see differently than the time you saw before. Fascinating. Um, and so then I had to get used to, um, uh, it, it took almost a year to, to make the adjustment because, um, the, what, what I had seen as a rectangular door frame, uh, before I had the surgery that uh, got my eyesight back, um, mm-hmm. that door frames looked, uh, well, they look like door frames. When I got my eyesight back, it looked more like an hourglass. Um, Interesting. And so that it, it always looked like the middle of the door frame was closing in on me, and I wasn't ever sure that I could make it through the door frame. And it took, it took about uh, six months before my brain recalculated uh, what square was or rectangular. Uh-huh. Um, yep. You know, I could put my hand out and feel that the door frame was exactly the way that it should be, but my what I saw was not what I felt. Mm-hmm. And, Mr. Uh, Brian, do you have another yeah, question? So I, well, adding to what you're saying, Peter, when I was blinded, it was an explosion. And so uh, one eye the optic nerve was detached. So that's the end of that. And the other eye, the retina shattered. And then slowly those shattered pieces healed together. So yep. from a visual perspective, the world was like a kaleidoscope. Yep. There were bits and pieces of vision, but all in the wrong places. That's and it right. Took a took about a year for the mind to reassemble those images. Uh, and to some degree, losing some definition in the process, but nonetheless, to the point where I could see uh, under the perfect light situation. Uh, I heard somebody earlier say it helps to have the shades down. Well, yeah, to some, de- some degree, that's true. Um, but I could see facial features as shadows where the eyes are and the shadow yep. between the nose and the corners of the mouth, if you will. So I could see that as if somebody had taken all those pieces of retina and stitched them together correctly. But it was all something because this mind we have uh, inside this skull is so amazing. It's capable of rethinking, reworking, turning itself differently. Uh, In fact, if you wear some kinds of cataract uh, glasses because your brain once you take those lenses off those lenses not only focus light they flip the image yeah um, and 
your brain eventually flips it back again. It's an amazing, well, well, amazing yeah. thing. And I mean, you know, what, what nobody really appreciates is that what everybody sees uh, in the first place is upside down. Exactly. Exactly. And the that, brain that the brain, that the brain is the thing that that reinterprets the image so that that um, my wife my wife for instance has floaters in her eyes and she keeps seeing uh, the, these floaters um, up at the top of her vision, but in reality the floaters are in the bottom of the eye. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. Peter, thank you, sir. Yep. We appreciate Later. it. Your, your story is fascinating, sir. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that, I mean, driving, driving is, uh, um, I, I would just like to say that driving is probably one of the ner most nerve-wracking things I ever did because <laughs> you have to be, you have to interpret so many different pieces of information all at the same time and that you're doing it at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. And... Um, and that uh, it's it's uh, it, you know it was it was a nerve wracking thing. That, that, I'm impressed uh, you did it. I'm not sure. And I'm not I sure was, I would have. And I was done for days. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So anyway, thanks again, Peter. Um, and, and and I would like to say just to Donna Browning that she she's absolutely right. Being being caught in the middle of uh, low vision. Um, um, partial vision, I think that's probably one of the hardest places to be. To be yep. totally blind is amazing. To be sighted is amazing. In between is hell. It was I good to see you in they, person this summer, Peter. Thank you. I yep. always think of low vision as a man with one foot on the boat and one on the dock. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the the other expression that I that a Native American expression I I heard that I think really really describes it also is um, running uh, running through the woods being chased by a bear with your moccasins half on. There you go. Thank you, Peter. Miss Mary. So, Phil, you have Phil, you have Phil Jones, and you have um, he, including him, you have six hands. Just so you know where you're at. Very Paul. good. Thank you. Thank you. I was about to ask you. You're welcome. Yep. Hey, hey Phil. Phil. Okay, good evening. Thank you. And I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> that is a really fascinating story. And it what it really makes you think because uh, I've been blind since birth 70 years ago. And uh, until I was about six months old, I had a, I understand I had a very little bit of vision, very insignificant amount. But uh, I've been blind since birth, so it's really a way of life for me now, and I would not want to get my vision because it would probably scare me to death. And um, I, now, However, I have had moments throughout my life, like, for example, when somebody was describing how the weather was outside and how beautiful it was, especially during the spring and the fall, I would just kind of wonder, hey, I wish I could see that, and uh, but I don't dwell on things like that. And um, mm -hmm. so I, I'm just uh, too well adjusted to being blind and would just uh, not want vision, although I wouldn't mind driving. Well, I don't know about these days, the way things are on the streets <laughs> and highways. I wouldn't want to drive a car. But, but uh, also, I've had to deal with, for the past 35 years, uh, hearing loss. So... 
it's really uh, kind of having to do with uh, uh, blindness is hardly anything to deal with compared to hearing loss. And uh, I would do, if I have been, uh, somebody asked me to choose between blindness and vision, I mean, blindness and hearing loss, I would take blindness every time. Because yep. I, I think most blind people would. And the other, the, but the odd thing is, as Brian said earlier, <clears throat> Phil, I think most deaf people would, would, would take, um, would would go the other way as well. They 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 value their vision immensely. So, absolutely. Yep. Phil, thank well, you, thanks, sir. Phil. Thank you. Later. Five seventeen and phone number ending in five seventeen. Hi, it's Mary Beth Metzger. I'll make this quick. Um, let's see. Okay, I like a. A bunch of other people have RLF, ROP, whatever alphabet soup we want to call it. Um, my guess is I probably had some limited vision, in at least light perception in the beginning, but I don't have anything now. Um, I, would, I would go for it with a few reservations. Um, I, I would take a good look at the risk factor. You know, if, if there was a chance that, say, for instance, by doing this surgery or whatever they were doing, um, something was going to go wrong with my brain and I might come out with some other you know, side effect, wacko, you know, disability, I would, right. I would not do it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing is that, you know, even as far as the investment is the research is, let's face it, I mean, I've lived, you know, the majority of my life, you know, is doing this research on, you know, doing the surgery on me as good an investment as it would be on a 30-year-old? Eh, I'm not so sure about that. Um as far as the whole thing about about hearing and sight, um, when I was at, at Guiding Eyes, there was a gentleman there who had become first deaf and then blind as an adult, yep. and he um, so he he had firsthand experience with both of them. He was getting a guide dog when I was there, mm-hmm. and he very clearly one day we were just talking about it, and he very clearly said that he goes if I he goes being deaf is harder than being blind because of the communication difficulty. Um, and I thought that was so interesting because here's somebody who, you know, could really give a pretty objective comparison to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I that's, think it is too. that's what Mike said. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the, the only other thing that I would say is, I don't know if, you know, um, you know, in the, in the Sheila Hawken books, as, for those of you who've read those books about she, Sheila Hawken, the woman in England who, I don't know, right? What about her guide dog, Emma, and then a bunch of other stuff? I think I only read yep. one of her books. But in one of her books, she got, she, I guess she got some of her sight back. And it was, it was interesting to, to see how her attitudes changed. It was a little bit disconcerting, I guess, to me, um, to, to see how her attitude changed, especially to some of her friends who were blind. And I'm like, hey, wait, you know, they're still your friends, so what if you can see? Um, I just thought that was that was kind of weird. So if anybody's interested, yes. take a look at yep. Sheila Hoggins' book. Excellent. Thank you. Mary Beth, thank you. Thank you, Mary Beth. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, Paul, uh, named Nancy. Um, she was legally blind. Um, she came to the Carroll Center as a client uh, and went off to guide dog school and came back with a beautiful dog. Um, she was prior to the onset of blindness, uh, a practicing, a practical nurse. Um, 
a career she wouldn't be going back to as a blind person. Nope. Uh, but she did go back into the medical field and, and being kind of a, a person who helps manage healthcare kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then she had a surgery. Now, she became a very important person in the, in the blindness community around here, uh, ran our sailing blind program, etc. She got her vision back, and within six months, she was totally disconnected to the blindness community. Huh. Totally disconnected. I just can't imagine that as, as part of this process of getting your vision back when you've been socially engaged in the blindness community, just like we heard, right, uh, in this, this book. I, yeah, it's a real thing that happened. Yeah, it's a, it, it's fascinating. I can't, I can't quite imagine it either, Mr. Bryan. Well, you think about divorced couples when they divorce and then people who were their friends uh, end up uh, choosing one side or the other. They were your friends mm-hmm. yesterday and now they're her friends or his friends, whichever. Anyway, who else do we have in the waiting in the wings? You have Deanne Har. Good evening, everyone. Um, yes, Hello, this Deanne. is Deanne Hart, and I'm from Indiana. Um, I am legally blind. Um, I was born in the era of Rabella, um, where the hypothetical mm-hmm. um, analysis was that my visual impairment was potentially caused by um, my mother being exposed to German measles in a trimester of her pregnancy. Um, the eye condition is called Peter's anomaly that I have, and there's 150 different combinations of it. So I won't go into detail, too much detail on it. But what I was born with is one eye was born extremely large and was called a Buthamus eye and had been taken by glaucoma before I was born and um, was very sensitive to light. The other eye I still had, I had, um, 2300 vision so what the person that normal person mm-hmm. sees at 20 feet i mean at 300 feet i see at 20 so i do have travel vision and i mm-hmm. still have um vision today but what but i had a i had glaucoma and cataracts as a child and the cataract oh. was so massive that it limited my vision to the point mm-hmm. where by fifth grade i was using braille Mm-hmm. Um, not having any sight in my left eye um, because it had been removed at nine months old. I, I know what it's like to not see out of my left eye at all, but I have vision out of my right eye. The one thing as a child I always wondered is what it would be like to have binocular vision, being able to see out of two eyes instead of just mm-hmm. one. That was always my fascination. Um, I can say I have ex- over a lifetime, I have experienced what it would be like not to see out of either eye in that after my eye surgeries as an adult, um, I've had optic nerve blocks. And Ooh. therefore, I've been totally blind because of not seeing out of my left eye, now having the optic nerve block in my right eye, um, 24 to 36 hours after a couple of my surgeries I've had. Um, my parents could have had surgery on my right eye, the eye I had vision in when I was an infant, 
um, at the same time they were having the eye removed from the other eye. But the risk of me losing my vision was so high, 75% chance of me losing the vision that I had, mm-hmm. that they chose to refrain from doing that until I was of the age I could make that decision myself. Mm-hmm which turned out to be when I was about 25, I made the decision to go on. And I, I had glaucoma that was in the 60s yep. um, because, I, because I had chose to take some hormones to try to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my glaucoma went up and that. And to arrest the glaucoma, they had to go in and put a Maltino tube in. Well, the doctor Ooh. at that time decided that if they were going in, to put a Maltino tube in and causing any trauma to the eye, that might be the t- opportunity time to do anything else they would want to do. Mm-hmm. And they were saying at that point in time, it would only be a 25% chance that I'd lose my vision. Right. And I said, let's go for it. So at that point in time, they took off my cataract. And in so doing, they took all out, the, out of the lens and mm-hmm. they had to do a cornea transplant. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say it, it was one of the best moves I had made in my life, I think, um, because one, it did give me more vision back. Um, I did experience, um, I'm going to say, a new life of, of being able to see things I had never seen before. Um, and that, unfortunately, cornea disease continues to be a problem I have. Right. And I've had four other cornea transplants. And as somebody else was saying, is sometimes it's like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And what I say in having a cornea, uh, my cornea transplant, it's been like I've had my, win- uh, I go in and have that surgery and it's like I've had my windows cleaned. Because I nice. see so much, everything so much better. And it's like I'm on a honeymoon for several months where things just seem fresh and new and, you know, and, and like I'm experiencing life a whole lot differently. And then, and then it gets back to normal. So uh, it, guessing, you know, it gets back to the routine. Yeah, so I'm guessing you'd like, you'd like to get all your vision back if you could. If, if I could, I'd love it. Um, I can't say it's necessarily because I, could dr- I would want to be able to drive. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily like the congestion out there on the roads, um, but, but I wouldn't mind having that chauffeur that somebody mentioned earlier. (laughs) This would be good. Thank you so much for your call. We appreciate you being a part of us tonight. Uh, Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Miss Mary. Let's let's go with Jane. Jane Delano. Hello, Jane. Okay, have you got me? There you are. We yes, do we have my you. Gosh, I've been chewing my nails the whole time, thinking, how does this work when you don't hear the got it button? Ah. Well, I want to just give you some snapshots for a minute. Very quickly, I was an, R- an RLF baby turned into a ropper, an ROP. If you put those two words together and mess about with the letters, you turn out to be a medical flopper. So I'm one of those. Um, I had some working vision as a child, uh, could see primary colors, could see large shapes, um, 
you know, never could see detail. I never depended upon what I could see to help me get around in the world. Uh, I've had surgeries over my lifetime to resolve things. For a long time, I could have donated my eyes, my corneas anyway, to people. And I had a great delight in picturing blind lady donates corneas so that somebody <laughs> can see payback a little or paying mm -hmm. forward, depending on who got them and what they did. I am thankful for research. I believe in it. You go for it, guys. What I wish could be in this world was a and and a better equality to where sight wasn't always the premier sense. I get tired of hearing what what y'all see. I really do. My sister and I talk about this a lot because she's had a lot more working vision than I in her life. So we talk about this. So I say, go surgeons, go surgery, go researchers. Um, never, ever forget to make room for the depth of perception that individuals have. And I think that happens far too often. Yeah, um, yeah I'd like a chauffeur too, but I want to pick him out. Whoop. Or her. <laughs> And, and in my world, beauty yep. is kind, mean is ugly. That's yep. how I distinguish well, them. So that's enough out of me. Fair enough. Thank Ms. you Jane, for calling thank you. in. Thanks for unmuting me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Miss Marianne did that. Miss Marianne, who we got? Roberta M. Hey, Roberta. Hi. Just Oop, thing to hear people's perspectives. Um, oh, let me try again. There you are. You're good. Very good to hear. In, is that better? Yep. Hear, yes. Thank you. Very interesting to hear people's perspectives. Um, the, uh, one comment before I get into my story. Um, Helen Keller said, "Blindness separates us from information. Deafness separates us from people." Yeah. I think there's truth to that. Yeah, and again, I, I the mean, deafness and communication. Such, right. I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not so sure it's as true now as it was when she said it. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I and I missed a few in the middle of the call, but um, I've not heard very many people reflecting um, my situation, which is I grew up sighted. I went through school mm -hmm. sighted. I graduated sighted. I was an adult sighted. And then in my mid-20s, I became legally blind because of um, diabetic retinopathy. Nice. And I am now um, probably about, I'd say about 20, 25 years ago, I crossed the line between what I would call um, um, sighted but with some problems to um, blind, but I still have some usable vision. Mm -hmm. So now I pretty much function um as though i have no vision but I, I mean i have a little i have enough to see um i want to say um um landscape like like the the difference between trees 
in the sky above to see that there's a line between light and dark. Mm-hmm. And that's about, that's yeah. about it. Um, I, you know, it's a complicated question. It depends on what I would have to give up. Um, if it, if it was simply, I get my vision back and nothing else has to change, I'd take it. It depends okay. if I had to give something up, like, um, the relationships I've developed with people through ACB or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, if you, if for all the folks who, you know, grew up with vision problems and, you know, and to say, well, you could have your vision back if you could have your vision back and your brain understood how to interpret it. Well, for sure. But I agree that whole adjustment process, it's as much of an adjustment to go from sighted to blind than blind to sighted. I think it's, it's huge. Do you think, do you think that because you could see for a lot of your life and and function pretty well, uh, pretty well, effectively in a sighted society that an adjustment if you got your vision back would be easier for you oh absolutely yeah Uh, yeah absolutely because all of the you know because because for 25 years my brain developed sighted right and so i think and so you knew how to read you knew how to drive yeah yeah yep 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 Everything up right. until I was 25 yeah. normally sighted. So all the things people would do to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, I think the things I miss the most are the 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 nuances of communicating, seeing a face, seeing someone across the room, you know, being in a room full of people and seeing somebody go, oh, I want to go talk to that person. Yep. And now you can't do it. <clears throat> I think I miss that more than just about yeah. anything. Yeah. Brian, you were going to say? I was going to tell you that uh, I participated in a number of studies uh, when we lost Gail, Paul. Yes. I couldn't donate to anything. I didn't have the means to donate. So I donated my time in her name. And uh, in one of the experiments while I was in an MRI machine, they had uh, me read a little bit of Braille. Um, not easy to do in an MRI machine, but I gave it a go. And the images showed that my activity, reading that Braille, lit up my visual cortex. So there's there's no question that your brain is this incredibly versatile thing that can reuse things that wouldn't otherwise be used at all. Um, so uh-huh. I, I <clears throat> absolutely agree that the longer you had sight, the easier transition back to sight would be for you. Mm-hmm. It seems, seems reasonable. You already have, you're just uh-huh. remembering. It's like bicycle riding. You might not have done it for 30 years, but you're not going to start from scratch. The next time you pick up a bicycle, it's going to come back to you pretty rapidly. Um, easy. No. I, I don't believe it's easy. I'm curious with everybody, how much I would not, for example, want my sight back if what they meant by sight was a two-dimensional black and white image. 
it, so it would, would, would be worth the danger to me of yeah. entering into a procedure. Or the other thing, which is if you agree to do it now with where science is now, you probably wouldn't qualify for a different procedure down the line that they discovered because right. you don't have the same that you know, they're not going to be working in the same space so to speak right so that kind of thing to me is important how important is it to our caller um that's a good question um I, I think I would probably go for it. I, and interestingly, if I had to choose between having normal vision or having not diabetes, hands down, it would be not diabetes. Yeah. I was going to ask you that, hands down. that precise question. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I'm a type 2 diabetic myself. Uh, so yeah. I didn't lose my vision as a result of uh, ret diabetic retinopathy. But I would agree with you, you know. But isn't it amazing that in all the studies, they say the three things that people fear the most health-wise is cancer, heart attack, and blindness in that order. In that order? In that order. <clears throat> That's interesting because I, I would have put blindness further up that list. I would have too, Paul. I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no. The first two at least are, if you will, <laughs> questions of mortality rather than quality of life. Right. Thank you so yeah. much for your call. I think we have like two more. One calls more, one more hand. Um, phone ah, number good. ending in 974, please. Good evening. Good evening, Paul. Hi. Teresa. Hi. From Little Rock. Yep. Okay. Here's my story. Yep. Yes. Okay, I had a little bit of vision, not much, not enough to take seriously, but yet not enough, you know, but it was still enough that I could tell, let's say somebody was standing in front of me, um, depending on if I recognized their uh, features a little, I could, uh, I could uh, tell who they were, maybe, um, I really couldn't see facial expressions, however, that being said, um, when my um, niece was about three or four years old, uh, she and her brother and I were all sitting on a couch, and I was reading something, some Braille out of a magazine, and I remember her getting, she was sitting on the other side of her brother, who was next to me, and then she got up and she sat over on the other side of me, and then she got up again, and she was sitting in the floor. And I kind of looked um, straight out, and I noticed her face was turned up. I think she was just watching my hand. <laughs> you know, I couldn't see what kind of look she had on her face, but I could tell it was turned up, you know. Huh? And another know. time, another facial expression I remember was, um, I don't know if it was an expression, but it could have been. Um, when I um, gave birth to my first son, I was nursing him, and it was about his first day in the world. And, you know, we were both, it was a learning curve for both of us, him and me. 
And he was kind of crying because he didn't know what I was trying to do for him. He thought I was trying to do something bad to him, maybe. (laughs) You know, it's what I was trying to do for him. And I remember he was crying, and I looked down, and I could see his mouth was wide open. And I thought, man, that looks like a big round circle. (laughs) But but I remember um, when I was about four or five, we went to fireworks display, you know, and I didn't know this was all about the 4th of July and everything, but I remember my mother was holding me on her lap and she was holding my head up and she's like, did you see that? Did you see that? You know, cause, um, I could tell there were these, there's something was going on here and I could hear these boom, boom. It didn't scare me, but I didn't know what she was trying to get me to look at it, you know, cause I was real little, but mm-hmm. up until I was in my thirties, I could, tell sort of the colors of the fireworks you know i could um they went so fast but i could kind of tell you know and they they looked cool and everything um i don't Mr. feel some doctors took me yep. seriously enough oh, at, because I, I, I didn't have very much i think that's true go ahead i think that's true and but, i didn't have they didn't take me seriously enough um i could sit up close to when they called them cctvs uh-huh. I had to kind of blow the the print up, and it was like black on white, but I could tell the letters. But uh, this teacher who was um, guiding me, he noticed that I had RP. Well, you know, I had didn't have any peripheral vision because mm-hmm. I would mistake an, a capital P, I'm R for a capital P because I didn't see the other stick, um, the yep. other leg of the R. Yep. And therefore, I thought it was a P until I saw that R. You know, that second leg, and then I knew it was an R. Miss Teresa, um, thanks for your call. We are running out of time. You, you oh, did I'm have sorry. and you really are out of time practically, but Marie raised her hand just oh. a little second ago. Marie, okay. you got about 30 but seconds just, or 45 seconds. Okay, I'll make it really quick because my, my story is very different. I have RP, but I had almost perfect vision till I was 35, drove nice. a car till I was 37, and it took another 22 years after that before I went totally, totally blind. My my vision in the last six months or so was really unusable. However, would I take get my blind my eyesight back if possible? Yes, I would. I wouldn't have to relearn anything. But yep. on the other hand, I turned eighty two years ago. I live alone. I take care of myself. And would I go through a dangerous procedure to get my sight back? No way. Absolutely. I think, I think I've adjusted just fine, and I'm I'm have no thoughts or real hopes of regaining my sight. We think you have too. Miss Maria, thank you so much. So ladies Boy, and gentlemen, we, evening, huh? yeah, we, we are, we are at the end. And once more, we have not gotten through what we promised we would. So next week we will have a two part uh, Tuesday topics. The first part we will, we will actually get to the research questions that we wanted to ask today. Would you, you know, would would you want to get involved in some surgery if if the amount that you'd be likely to gain was not very much? Is that and is that worth the amount of money we're spending to get very little vision back? Are we discovering enough that it makes it worthwhile for us to do that? The second thing that we will eventually do is something we talked about just before the show tonight. What is a blind person's notion of beauty? Um, how do how do we judge the the beauty of somebody who we might be interested in dating, for example? So that's what we'll be talking about. Brian, you have about ten seconds. Beauty extends beyond the other people. Beauty is also 
the world around us. It is. Miss Marianne, Mr. Rick, uh, Mr. Larry, thank you all very much for what you do for us every week. Very well. And good night.